Hi everybody, I'm Emma Houghton, and you're listening to 30 Teams in 30 Days on the Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. So the 2021 Major League Baseball regular season is underway. Baseball has begun. I spent each day in March previewing all 30 Major League Baseball teams in alphabetical order. So today is April 6th, and I continue on with the Tampa Bay Rays. So even though the season has started, I still have four more of these to do. They will end on Friday, and that will be all 30 teams. But it is still valuable to get through these last few ones because the season has started. So instead of going through some of the past team history, I'll give my impressions on what has happened the few games into the season so far, along with a wrap-up of the offseason, position battles, starting pitching, relief pitching, bench and prospects before I finish with Pakota standings and my philosophy on the team. So, so far, the Rays are 2-2. Two and two. They are tied. They are third in the AL East right now, although it is way too early to tell where these teams are stacking up, especially since the Orioles swept the Red Sox in the first series of the season. But the Tampa Bay Rays, their goal is to get one step better than they were last year when they were AL champions, They lost in six games to the Dodgers in the World Series, but they had the best record in the AL, 40 wins and 20 losses. They did lose really the crux of their success in their one-two pitchers, Blake Snell and Charlie Morton. So those are the two biggest departures this offseason. Morton went in free agency to the Braves, and they traded away their ace Snell to the Padres. They did get back in return from him the Padres' number three overall prospect, Luis Patino. And they also got a major league-ready catcher in Francisco Mejia, who has already seen some time as a backup to Mike Zanino so far this season. Other additions, the Rays did bring on some starting pitching depth to make up for the losses of Snell and Morton in Michael Walker, Chris Archer, a reunion back in Tampa Bay, along with Rich Hill and Colin McHugh. They lost Snell and Morton. They bring on, uh, excuse me, they also lost some key bullpen pieces in Aaron Loop and Jose Alvarado, who I talked a lot about, who is on the Phillies now. The culture fit in Tampa really just wasn't working out for Alvarado. And the Rays also designated for assignment Hunter Renfro, who is now in pretty much an everyday outfield role for the Boston Red Sox. So now let's get into these position battles. And the Rays last year, it was partly COVID, but partly this is just the DNA of this team. They could roll out a different lineup every single night. And I believe they had the second most lineups in baseball last year with at least 57 in 60 games. It's because they have so much infield depth. They have so much outfield depth. Really, it just comes down to who can stay healthy, who can overperform like newcomer Randy Rosarena did, especially in the postseason. And then on the pitching staff, they can rely less heavily on their starters because their bullpen is one of the best in the league. So starting at catcher, they brought back Mike Zanino, not known for his offensive power. He's really known just for what he can do, framing and stopping balls behind the plate. But he can, he is known for popping a home run every once in a while. At first base, if I had done this preview a month ago, I would have said G-Man Choi, but Choi is currently on the injured list, which which makes Yoshi Tsutsugo the everyday first baseman for the Rays so far. 
if I had done this a month ago, I also would have mentioned that Yoshi Sutsugo, Sutsugo, excuse me, had played a lot of third base this spring. He'd played a lot of outfield. He could also see time at second base. So that is part of what makes Sutsugo so valuable. He can slot in at so many different places. But because of the glaring hole that Choi leaves, Sutsugo can slot in there. But Choi definitely needs to come back quickly for the Rays. He's a huge part of their offense. At second base, arguably the best player on this team now with the loss of Snell, it's Brandon Lau. And I've gushed about how much I love DJ LeMahieu as a player because he's so pure. And he exemplifies everything that is good about baseball. That's not just how hard somebody can hit a home run. Brandon Lau is one of those guys. He was among league leaguers in barrel percentage last year. He always gets hard contact. For a small guy and for a young guy, he hits a lot of homers, 14 and 56 games. But he's so much more valuable defensively on the base pass. He is a perfect 8 for 8 so far. He actually was the leader in fan wins above fan graphs wins above replacement in 2020. And the unfortunate thing is that he was very bad in the postseason. So fans that don't watch the Rays anyway because they're such a small market team, the first time that they were watching the Rays in the playoffs, didn't get to see the best play the best offensive player on the Rays all season long because he really just didn't perform well in the postseason. But already he has a home run on the board in 2021. He's back to his normal ways. At third base, You've seen a lot of Joey Wendell. He's also seen some Yandy Diaz. Wendell has a nice mix of power in the sixth spot, usually. And shortstop, Willie Adamas. This guy is underrated. He's quick. He has a high baseball IQ. Even though he hits lower in the lineup, he's got a lot of pop. And because he's so quick, he can turn doubles into triples. And he can really wreak havoc on the base pass, which is a huge compliment because that's slowly but surely becoming a lost art in baseball. I think the Rays have a very solid young infield that can turn into the cornerstones of this franchise. In the outfield, it potentially gets even more exciting. This is where you're going to see a lot of mixing up. Kevin Kiermaier started in center field on opening day. Currently, he is dealing with quad tightness. So as I'm recording this on Tuesday, he is not playing in the Red Sox game. It hasn't been released how severe this injury is. If he might have to spend some time in the IL, hopefully he won't. But again, because the Rays are so deep, even if he does have to leave, they'll have guys who can step up. But that being said, Kiermaier is one of the best defensive center fielders in the league. I think he's a peg below Jackie Bradley Jr., but otherwise he's the second best defensive center fielder in the league. Manny Margot can play all three outfield positions. He had an absolutely incredible catch in the postseason falling over the right field wall. He is incredibly fast as well. And then I could not talk about the Rays without mentioning Randy Arozarena, the hero of baseball last season, won the ALCS MVP. He was literally up for consideration for the World Series MVP, even though he was on the losing team. He played that well in 20 playoff games. His slash line was 377, 453, and 831 slugging percentage. 10 home runs in 20 games, 19 runs, and 14 RBIs. This guy was literally a walking hit, like a walking bucket in NBA, but every single time he stepped into the plate, he got a hit. 
He had played just 23 regular season games before he just absolutely exploded in the playoffs, and I'm going to get into it a lot when I talked about the philosophy of this team, but he is just the perfect epitome of what the Rays do. They find players that other franchises have discarded, which is exactly what happened to Randy Rosarena in the Cardinals. He just didn't round into the prospect the Cardinals hoped he could be, so the Rays picked him up, and now, despite playing that well in the postseason, Rosarena is still up for a for he is still has his rookie status, which means he is, he is a favorite for the AL Rookie of the Year. And then at DH, Austin Meadows. If the DH wasn't a factor, Austin Meadows could see time outfield, and I think you still will see that. You could see Sutsugo at DH. You could see Choi at DH, especially as he comes back from that injury. Even Yandy Diaz, another bench option. And then behind him, you have Mike Brasso, who could play sh- third base as well. You saw a lot of him in the postseason. And then I also have to mention Brett Phillips, another hero of the postseason in that crazy game where the the Rays walked it off in extras. Phillips pinch hit, hit a single. The Dodgers ended up making an error, throwing the ball away. Randy Rosarena came in to score. It was all kind of a, a moot point when the Rays lost the series anyway, but that was one of the best playoff games ever. And it one of the reasons why it was so great is because it came off the bat of Brett Phillips, who had really only seen pinch hitting opportunities all season long. So he is a nice option to have off the bench. But really, I mentioned how many different lineups Kevin Cash is going to use, and it's not just because COVID. The Rays didn't deal with a ton of COVID issues last year. It's just because they have so many variations of lineups with lefties and righties and field positions and flexibility. It is a huge strength for a manager, especially a manager like Kevin Cash, who all he does is think about the analytics and how to best maximize his players. Now let's move to pitching, which could potentially be the Rays' downfall this season. They are relying on Tyler Glass now to come into his role as the ace of this squad. In 2019, he had a 245 ERA plus in 60 innings. Very small sample size, pretty much exactly what he pitched in the shortened 2020 season. In his last full season in 2018, where he spent half the season with Pittsburgh before he came over to the Tampa Bay Rays, 111 innings pitched, a 94 ERA+, and a 4.00 FIP. Those are pretty much exactly league average numbers. The Rays, in my opinion, will not make it far in the postseason, if at all, if Tyler Glass now is just league average. All of his pitches have gotten better. He surely has the attitude and the confidence to take the next step. And I honestly think for him, being the number one guy, pitching every fifth day is exactly what somebody like Glasnow needs. So I personally think he is the player to watch in this entire division, because if he goes out there and is a Cy Young candidate, the Rays are incredibly dangerous because behind him, it definitely gets a bit weaker. To go from Snell, Glasnow, and Morton to now a 1-2-3 punch of Glasnow, Ryan Yarbrough, and Rich Hill. That is nowhere even close. Ryan Yarbrough, he has been very valuable for this team in the past in a bullpen role, in a starter role, in an opener role. He has really done it all for this squad, and that's what's made 
the Rays pitching staff so successful because they're so flexible. I think the way that the, the starters don't have a ton of depth this year, you will most likely see Uyarbro in a starting role, which he did in his first win of the season against the Marlins over the weekend. And then Rich Hill, he's 41 years old. He spent time with the Dodgers. You can't expect a lot from him. He wasn't great in his debut, unfortunately. It was interesting because the Rays took flyers on Rich Hill and Michael Walker. Michael Walker is only 29 years old, which shocked me. I thought he was older. He is not far removed from when he used to be very, very good. Rich Hill is. And even though he's played in competitive atmospheres before, I don't think you can rely on him to have above league average numbers. Waka, I think you can. His numbers were ex- exceptionally misleading last year with the Mets, a 6.62 ERA in a 5.25 FIP in 34 innings. But his strikeout rate was the highest it's been since his rookie season, and he cut his walk rate nearly cut in half of what his career average is. So those are good signs that he has his command under control and his stuff is back to being Michael Walker fashion. But behind him, another interesting pickup, Chris Archer. He was an all-star in 2015 and 2017 when he was in Tampa. He was traded to Pittsburgh in 2018. I did my Pittsburgh Pirates preview already. You know how I feel about their pitching staff and the developmental track there. He faltered, and now the Rays bring him back a year after he had a career-high walk rate. His stuff wasn't as good as it used to be. What version of him will we see this year? Because that can really determine what the identity of this rotation is. If Archer is back to his 2017 form, if Tyler Glasnow is a bona fide ace, if Michael Walker has better numbers, if Rich Hill can be five years younger, then this rotation looks okay. Otherwise, it's really going to be up to the bullpen to take on even more innings than they did last year. I did want to give honorable mention to a starter I think we will see later in the season, Luis Patino, who the Rays got back in the Snell deal. He was really... He's going to be the indicator of whether this was a good or bad trade for the Rays. Almost always, the Rays end up being the beneficiaries of any trade that they concoct. If Patino is amazing, I think this will be the perfect thing that the Rays did because in no way was Snell declining, but he was definitely getting more expensive than what the Rays wanted to pay him. And Patino they'll have under club control for years and years. And if he can be as good as everyone thinks he is, that'll be huge for them. In the bullpen, Nick Anderson, one of the best relievers, in the league last year, he was another guy that really imploded in this in the postseason, which was unfortunate because all eyes were on him. And the decision everyone will talk about for years in game six of the World Series against the Dodgers, Blake Snell was dealing in the sixth inning right before he was about to go through the Dodgers lineup for the third time. Kevin Cash replaced him with Nick Anderson. So Snell was dealing Anderson had not been dealing the entire series, and you know what happens next. The Rays drop the game and the series. People criticize Cash. I personally, and I've talked to a lot of people who feel the same way, hindsight's 2020. I think if he had gone in there, Snell's numbers prove that he is not as good third time through. The reason the Rays were in the position that they were in is because they relied on decisions like that. They 
prioritized analytics and numbers and statistics over feel. Yes, I would have preferred as a fan to watch Snell continue pitching, but I don't fault Kevin Cash at all for taking him out because that is what they've built their team on and their success on. It was just really an unfortunate turn of events that Nick Anderson wasn't as good as he'd been all season long. Behind him in the pen, you've got some other really, really high-quality names. Diego Castillo, Pete Fairbanks, Chaz Rowe, who unfortunately was recently placed on the IL. Brandon McKay, a top prospect, in fact, a MLB Top 100 prospect. He had shoulder surgery in 2020. He's still recovering from that, so we're not going to see him recently, but I think he is another big piece of this Rays pitching future, along with Josh Fleming. Another guy to look out for, Yanni Kucherinos, who, kind of like Ryan Yarbrough, has seen time as a starter and as an opener, and Jalen Beeks, who has been a bullpen guy. They both are recovering from Tommy John. So there are a ton of names. You might not recognize any of them, but that's part of what makes the Rays so great. They bring on low-cost guys who overperform and bring the Rays to the postseason year after year. The Rays don't need Blake Snell and Charlie Morton to be successful. I think it is horrible for this fan base to have to lose star after star year after year simply because the Rays refuse to pay them. But no matter what, the Rays compete. Even though they have the lowest payroll in baseball, even though they don't pay anybody, even though they have the worst ballpark in the sport, even though they barely have any fans, they compete and they really do deserve to have more of a following because of what this front office does and just continuing to discover talent. So with that being said, the Rays have the best farm system in baseball, and it's not even particularly close. They have eight guys on MLB's top 100 prospects list. I'll go through them quickly. The number one overall prospect in the sport is Wando Frank Wander Franco. He is a shortstop. He's only played 175 games as a professional, and only 52 of them have come at high A, so he's played no games at the double A or triple A level. He's inexperienced. He's 20 years old. A guy like Fernando Tatis took a little bit more time, so I think we will see him this year, but definitely in a limited sample. But he is the shortstop of the future. In Tampa Bay, the Rays are also known for really manipulating service time, so they're definitely milking the idea that he's not ready, but I think even if he was, he probably would have started in the minors no matter what. Behind him, you have Patino coming in at number 18 overall. Randy Arozarena, like I mentioned, still retains that rookie status, 32nd overall. Vidal Brujan is 47th. Brandon McKay, 69th. Shane McClanahan, another guy who saw important innings in the postseason last year. He is the 81st overall prospect in baseball. Xavier Edwards, another middle infielder. He was acquired from San Diego in the Tommy Pham trade last year. He is 82nd overall. And then another bullpen piece, Shane Baz, is the 87th overall prospect in baseball. That's insane. I've talked about how incredible it is that A.J. Preller and the Padres are able to cultivate such a strong farm system and also be so competitive at the Major League level. The Rays do that times a hundred. They might not be as flashy as the Padres. They might not hit as many home runs as the Padres will. They might not, they might not even make it as far 
as the Padres do this year. But the Rays are built for long-term success because they don't pay big free agents money and they don't sign stars to long-term deals. Instead, they are satisfied with finding guys off of the scrap heap like Randy or Rosarena and turning them into stars. It's truly unbelievable. It's almost unfathomable to see the Rays continue to do this. But Kevin Cash is the perfect manager for this job because he's so analytically minded. He maximizes every single one of these players and you see prospects go to Tampa and just get exponentially better. You see it year after year. I wonder how long this can go on for, how long the Rays can just refuse to sell high cal to sign or sell, honestly, high caliber players like Blake Snell. Like, can you really, if Tyler Glass now turns into an ace, are you really not going to lock him down for three or four years? Are you going to keep going out and getting flyer guys? How many years can you get out of Rich Hill? How much more good performances can you get out of a guy like him? I think those are really important questions to ask because I don't know how sustainable that is. And I don't know how you can keep the peace of the fan base either. But it truly, it is just worth mentioning how amazing the Rays' long-term success has been. So... I will end with the Pakota standings. It has the Rays at 86 wins, finishing third in the AL East. I will talk about the Toronto Blue Jays later this week in two days, to be exact. I personally think that the Rays will finish ahead of the Blue Jays because though the Blue Jays' offense is 10 times better than the Rays' offense, I think the Rays has a better pitching staff from the first starter to the last bullpen option than the Blue Jays do. And I think that culminates in more wins, especially a young Blue Jays team where if one guy goes down, that could really derail the Blue Jays season. If one guy goes down on the Rays, you've already kind of seen it. Manny Manny Margot steps up. Yandy Diaz steps up. Yoshi Sutsugo steps up. It is truly endless. I honestly think the Rays could have 86 wins exactly. I'll go slightly under. I truly think it's going to be from the 85 to 87 range. I think the Yankees have a sizable difference over in first place. Like the drop off from the Yankees to the Rays will be very significant. But I still think that the Rays can be happy with their performance this season because they're rebounding from the loss of Snell and Morton, and they're just continuing to develop these prospects, develop their future while seeing what they can get from guys that other teams have completely written off. How many more Randy Arozarenas are we going to see in this Rays organization? Probably more than 20 in the next few years. So it is incredible to see what goes on behind the scenes translated to on the field success. I'm not sure if the Rays will get the wild card spot, just because the AL Central is so competitive between the Twins and the White Sox, the AL West is so competitive between the Astros and the A's, and honestly, as low as I am on the Angels, I've made it very clear that I think the front office is wasting years of Mike Trout's prime. Their offense looks pretty dang good so far, so the Rays are going to now have to keep up with those names if they want to see another playoff run. 
So that'll wrap up my season preview of the Tampa Bay Rays. As always, make sure to check out the link in the bio of this episode for any previous season previews that you might have missed that were published on SoundCloud before I moved over to the Did You Hear Spotify feed. So thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in tomorrow for a special episode with a special guest for my Texas Rangers season preview.